As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Hi there, this is The Athletic Football Podcast Weekend Preview. We're looking at the return of the Premier League and Match Day 5. I'm Adam Leventhal, direct from The Athletic's London HQ. We are here every Friday to get our teeth into the Premier League action. And alongside me today, show regulars, Nick Miller, first of all. How are you, Nick? I'm very well. Am I uh, I your sidekick now? No, 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 you're not. No, (laughs) don't get over familiar. (laughs) (laughs) No, you are a show regular. It's great to see you once again. Yeah, you could be my... Do you want to be my sidekick? Well, uh, initially I thought you might be saying, no, you're not my sidekick to to sort of save my dignity. But no, it's just because you don't want me kind of hiding outside your house or something like that. (laughs) No, I quite like it. Yeah, you can be my sidekick. But then, then, as I said, show regulars, Tim Spears is also here. So so Mm. basically now we get into this awkward situation of, are you fighting to be my sidekick as well? And if, if you say no, then that makes me look stupid and makes Nick look even more stupid. Yeah, I'd have to want to be your sidekick to, exactly. for that process to start exactly uh, so yeah I'll have to think about that okay. <laughs> that's brilliant <laughs> excellent start and alongside Nick and Tim is a debutante Luke Bosher how are you Luke just explain to people who aren't familiar with your work what you do here at The Athletic Hey Adam, Uh, so I'm on the news team uh, at The Athletic, so I work with all the writers, including Nick, Tim and yourself, uh, trying to get their stories, their little tidbits, work with them, get them out to as many people as possible, and I'm I'm a bit of a utility player, you know, I kind of do a little bit of everything. You do it very well, and you are a machine in terms of the the news. Um, Let's look ahead to a bumper Premier League weekend. Tim, I guess you're really excited to hear the fixture lineup this week. Yeah. <laughs> no, I love this. Is my favourite part of the show. Yeah, of course it is. Brilliant. Uh, it, well, for the first time, we actually have a zero at the start of the formation, which is really interesting. It's a zero seven two one formation this weekend. Luke, does, does that make sense to you? Yeah, I think I've cracked that code. Yeah. Wicked. I like it. Um, do you want to hear what the fixtures are? Do I? Let's cue the music. It is uh, Wolves in 15th against Liverpool in 3rd. Aston Villa in 10th against Crystal Palace in 7th. Fulham 13th. Luton 19th. Still no points for Luton. 
Manchester United in 11th against Brighton in 6th. Tottenham, their second against Sheffield United in 17th. West Ham are 4th. Man City, of course, where else? They're top. And Newcastle, 14th against Brentford in 8th. Those are the games on Saturday. On Sunday, you've got Bournemouth in 16th against Chelsea in 12th. Everton in 18th against 5th place Arsenal on Sunday. Then on Monday, it is Forest in 9th cruising thanks to uh, some wonderful performances Nick up against bottom of the lot Burnley let's start at Old Trafford because Manchester United host Brighton three o'clock UK time on Saturday looking to bounce back from that late 3-1 defeat at Arsenal before the international break and they face of course a very dangerous Brighton side three wins out of four so far they did the double over United last season they gave Eric Ten Hag you may remember a bit of a wake-up call in his first ever game in charge last August um I wanted to reflect if we can on a little bit of the international break because it concerns a Manchester United uh, player, Tim. You were out in Poland with uh, England watching the game against Ukraine. Then you headed on to Scotland. I'm talking about Harry Maguire. Gareth Southgate's been saying that the treatment of him is a joke. His mother, Zoe, has, has jumped in on the debate. Maguire himself said that he can deal with it. What's your feeling on this this Maguire debate and, and some of the things that have been said about him, um, I mean, the treatment he received in in Scotland, you know, it wasn't sort of beyond the pale or unacceptable. You know, it was it was it was a bit of fun from 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 Scotland's point of view. Um, you know, I mean, this is a guy who received death threats last year. That's obviously when it went far too far. Um, and in, and you you say he said he can deal with it. I mean, he, the own goal was unfortunate, but otherwise, I thought he was very good in the second half. You know, England came under quite a lot of pressure, and he actually had the highest pass accuracy of. Any player uh, of any England player, ninety-five percent, despite the fact that every time he had the ball, they were completely on his case. I mean, that's what they were doing every single time. But I, I think it's 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 just an accumulation. That that's where this has come from, from Southgate's point of view, and then Maguire's family speaking as well. What he's going through week after week is is strange. I think uh, it's not something we've not seen before. But I think it's 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 probably gone a little bit too far. He's become a, a punch line and a punch bag. Um, I mean, I've, I've been guilty of it myself. I think a lot of people probably have, you know, poking fun at him. Um, most of the comments I saw on social media this week, though, when I tweeted out Southgate's remarks, almost all of them then t- turned it back on Southgate, to be honest, and said, look, you're the one that's picking him. Um, and if you look back since the start of last November, Maguire has started 10 games for England and 11 for Manchester United, which is not... Uh, it's not a, a, a tenable situation. Southgate will argue he's been a solid performer for England for some time, uh, who's never who's never really let him down, and uh, there are a lack of alternative options. People can then say, "Well, look, <laughs> you need if you if you if you want experienced alternatives, you need to start blooding other players." And Loose Dunk was thought was excellent against Scotland in the week, so it's probably reached a bit of a tipping point. I I mean, I feel sorry for him personally. Um, I, I can sense a slight shift in the mood and the narrative, maybe that. People will start feeling sorry for him, and I think this will quiet down a little bit. But yeah, it's um, it's 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 not good. But I thought he coped with it really well in the week. Nick, do you think that Southgate, in what he said, was maybe trying to deflect things away from the fact that he maybe is a little bit responsible for this situation? You know, the jeering and the the joking about Harry Maguire, whether you agree with it or not, has come from somewhere, and Southgate has put him effectively in the in the firing line, hasn't he? 
Yeah, I guess so. I I, I also suspect that um, while he was ostensibly talking to the fans and the media, I think he was probably talking to Maguire there. He, I think that it was probably not really about the the um, the the fans or any treatment he's been getting from pundits. I think it it, it was a to say to Harry Maguire, you know, a, a bit of a pep up for him really. Um, which is certainly more, certainly more constructive than his mum getting involved. Which is, yeah, you know, it's it's never a good situation when your your mother has to kind of imagine. I don't know if this has happened to anyone here, but their, their mother got involved in the comments below a piece defending defending you. That's no, I'm not sure I'd want that. I could imagine my mum wanting to do it, right? But but she wouldn't do it. So no. for Harry Maguire to do it in such a public, uh, Harry Maguire's mum to do it in such a public way is is. Yeah, it's not necessarily going to help his sort of his image of being able to take everything on the chin, I suppose. Uh, no, I suppose not. I mean, he, there's also, I mean, he, he, I suppose in some respects he didn't do himself a huge amount of favours, and I think we might be on to talk about this in a minute by still being at Manchester United. Mm. You can understand why he wouldn't want to leave because it would be kind of an ambition of failure in a certain respect which is you know obviously no one likes to do that but you know he, he just screams of a man who could do with playing somewhere slightly less high profile somewhere where you know his every little thing he does is not going to be kind of scrutinized which is inevitably he's going to get with England anyway but um he just somewhere where he can play a bit more uh, rather than just kind of you know filling in and there being then being enormous pressure on these kind of relatively sporadic performances. Well, he has said that he's likely to get more games, and there are some injury concerns about other candidates um, at Manchester United. So it may well be that it does sort of equal itself up, and he can be playing, and then those call ups that he is likely to continue to get from. Gareth Southgate will will make a little bit more sense. He's he's never going to be first choice though, is he? At United, and if he went to I don't know, you know, West Ham was obviously the one that yeah. um, that was possible this summer. If he went somewhere like that, he probably would be first choice, and he he would, you know, that would maybe boost his confidence or or whatever. Maybe he doesn't need his confidence boosted, but it, it while you can't lecture a Premier League footballer on their career choices, it did seem quite a strange one. In contrast. Lewis Dunk played for for England and looked very good, Luke. Um, I wanted to talk to you about Brighton and and the fact that, and let's let's be brutally honest, Manchester United they're going through all sorts of issues, be it takeover, be it problems with with players, um, be it their form. Brighton, on the other hand, they're seen as a, a really well run, well respected club at the moment, and and especially in terms of the way that they're able to just sell players for millions of pounds and, and reinvest them in, in other gems. I mean, how much sort of respect do you have for, for that Brighton model? Yeah, I mean, it's been it's been so successful over the last few years. They're a team that just keep on winning, really, on and off the pitch. And they've managed to go from a really exciting coach in Graham Potter and then they've just not unearthed Roberto De Zerbi, but they've sort of unleashed him in uh, you know a much bigger environment than he was at Sassuolo and then at Shakhtar Donetsk before that and it's just been I mean to be a bit cheesy about it it's been great to see from like a neutral perspective because they have upset the apple cart you know you mentioned that win over Man United at the beginning of last season and I think a lot of people enjoyed that apart from Manchester United fans obviously and the way they've played football as well has been 
you know, they're, they're the team to watch. Every week you, you would want to watch a Brighton game, even if they're playing, you know, Forest or Wolves. Um, they would just, because they, they play such exciting football. My son has actually now adopted Brighton. Oh, that's a blast. As his, wow. as his, well, no, as his, as his Premier League team. Oh, I mean, that's a, so that's a double kick in the pants. <laughs> well, then, sure. yeah, exactly. I mean, I, preferable to Luton, but my God. I know. So, um, but I can see why, you know, they have got, they have got Joao Pedro there now. So, yeah. you know, he is, he is a wonderful player and he obviously came from Watford. Watford is much of a production line of great players as, as Brighton are uh, at the moment. Um, Tim, I just wanted to ask you, if you look at the situation now, if you had to make a call on who's going to end up in the Champions League, will it be Manchester United or, or Brighton? Mm-hmm. Where's, where's your money? Not that you're allowed to put money on it, but where is your money? <laughs> where, is your, where is your money? <laughs> so you're asking me where my money is, basically. <laughs> this is a I'm, shakedown. I'm sort, of, I'm sort of robbing you and asking you a question at the same time. You make a decision to as a, to what to, you hand over, an answer or your money? To be Adam's sidekick, you do have to pay him. Yeah. That's, right, cool. that's okay. how it works. You also have to put up with this nonsense as well. <laughs> uh, Who's right. finishing in the Champions League spots? Um, I, I mean, the current direction of travel suggests Brighton, given that you know that the, the consistency they have in terms of uh, selection and style, and, and you know they know what they're doing. They're a functioning unit. Um, I do think Europe's going to change a lot. It's coming up on the horizon quite quickly, and. Um, uh, Brighton's Brighton got a fantastic group. Ajax, Marseille, and AK Athens. So, um, and also Man United made the step up to Champions League as well, of course. But obviously, they've got the biggest squad to cope with it. So it can be done. I mean, I covered Wolves in the in the first season when they they were in the Europa League and they were right on the cusp of the Champions League places all the way through that season. And uh, despite going quite deep in the Europa League, um, but I'd say you've got to say, given their resources and given the form they showed for most of the last season, you'd still fancy Man United to finish above Brighton and just a quick word who will be the next 100 million pound player from from Brighton to be sold to probably Man United or, or most probably your team Bosch uh, Chelsea how much who's going to go do you think I mean it looks all the stars are pointing at Evan Ferguson as being the next cab off the rank as you say I mean he looks incredible there's been talk about him since really the start of last season about I mean, because he's so young, he's still a teenager, but just how much of a physical presence he is and how tactically and technically adept he is. He just plays beyond his years. He looks like a, a you know, 27-year-old striker who's in his prime. And it's just, I mean, he's, he's a remarkable talent. Missed out on going to the international uh, duty with Republic of Ireland due to a, a small injury. And I think Brighton hoping he'll be back for this game against his possible f- future employers. But I, I mean, I, it's, it's a mad thing with Brighton because you trust their scouting network so much. I mean, they signed Carlos Baleba, I think it was, from Lille for 30 million euros. You know, I've, I have to confess, I've not watched much of Lille play last season, but if Brighton are spending 30 fair, million euros... Fair weather. You know, you're not going to last on this podcast <laughs> if you're not watching Lille every week. Well, you know what I mean? If Brighton spend 30 million euros on a player, you automatically go, yeah, well, he's going to be quality, isn't he? So, I mean, in a year's time, it wouldn't surprise me if City or Arsenal or Chelsea snap him up. We were just saying before we recorded, one of the most ringing endorsements I heard for one of Forrest signings this summer was that Brighton were interested in him. Not even that they signed him, were interested <laughs> in him last summer. So, yeah, it's Nico Dominguez. That's enough for me. Bright, Brighton write him. He's going to be amazing. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, 
everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Okay, let's move on to Sunday's 4.30 game in the UK. Every Premier League team has their bogey side. And I think it's fair to say that Everton have had Arsenal's number in recent years. Um, Arsenal haven't won there since 2017. Everton have won four out of their last five in the Premier League at Goodison. And it was last season's 1-0 defeat at Goodison that really dented their title charge. It was the first of three winless games. It allowed Manchester City to close the gap. It was Sean Dyche's first game. It was all blood and thunder. But is your gut feeling this time around, Nick, that that Arsenal should really be going there and winning convincingly, considering that the sort of polar opposite status of these two sides? I mean, surely, surely. I mean, you get some kind of paranormal investiga- investigations if they don't win this time. That I mean, that game last last year was such a, it was so misleading as well because you know Sean Dyche comes straight in Everton immediately looked like a Sean Dyche team and he was like, oh okay, they'll be they're going to be absolutely fine. Their problems are solved. But as it turns out, no, none of their problems are solved. Um, yeah, I mean, you'd expect obviously you'd expect Arsenal to to win this even if they have not. Not been hugely convincing in all all their games. And, you know, obviously they the brilliant win against United last time out. But yeah, ex, you'd expect them to finally win at Goodison Park this time. And what's your take on Everton, Luke? Because the, the XG it does suggest that they haven't quite been as bad as their three defeats and one draw against Sheffield United. Are you on that page? Well. I'm not really sure. I think XG can only get you so far. And, you know, I like to think of something my dad says, which is the most important statistic is the one in the top left corner, um, the scoreline. Oh, and yeah. Everton right, scorelines... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <Someone was laughs> you know, that took me a bit of time. Everton scorelines have been pretty pretty disappointing and pretty underwhelming. I mean, you mentioned Beto. You know, that is a good signing because you, you they can't rely on Dominic Calvert-Lewin's fitness and Beto... You know, he has got 10 and 11 goals, I think, in his last two Syria campaigns. And if that translates to the Premier League, Everton didn't have anyone that got 10 goals last year. Their, their top scorer is Dwight McNeil with seven. So you'd imagine that brings, you know, another dimension to their attack. But I think you look at the negatives for them. They got a point against Sheffield United and I watched you know a fair bit of that game. And I just, my take of it, my take from it was that it was just two quite poor sides against each other quite a lot of chances were created but it wasn't through good play or you know outstanding tactics it was just through almost ineptitude really and I don't think Everton are going to be playing a team as poor as Sheffield United every week and they need to win games like that and you know you think about their game against Wolves they had a lot of chances in that game Wolves snatched it right at the death and, you know, they, they only survived against Sheffield United because of a miraculous Jordan Pickford save right at the end. And, mm. you know, they can't rely on Pickford heroics week in, week out. 
And I think we're firmly, if we weren't at the beginning of the season, we are firmly in you fear for Everton territory. Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. But you, you never know. You never know what's going to happen. Maybe this, this Beto introduction is going to be a, an absolute game changer. They're obviously going to have a big step up from Sheffield United uh, taking on Arsenal. But just a word on on the sort of the relegation struggle. And I, I cross over to um, to Tim, obviously. He's, he's, a, he's, you know, he's got his loyalties at Wolves. Um, people are expecting them to, to struggle this season, potentially. Sheffield United are the only side to have picked up a point out of the three that have been promoted. Luton and Burnley, three defeats from three each. Five goals scored between them, 20 conceded. Do you feel that it's just simple now for, for, for any side that wants to stay in the Premier League? You just need to finish above the, the three promoted sides and you'll be OK. And that, and that is very much Everton's goal. Uh, it looks that way, although it's slightly skewed by Burnley and Luton having played a game yeah. fewer than everyone else. Uh, I think I think we can all we can all safely say that Luton and Sheffield United, you know, lack proven quality in 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 the squads that they've got. Purely looking at the names that they've got, and I think that's been borne out from what we've seen of them so far. You know, they look limited. Um, doesn't mean they can't stay up, but it'll be by making life difficult for their opponents rather than them imposing themselves on on others. I think Burnley we thought would be slightly different, and that they've sort of come up. Uh, having stormed the championship with this this fantastic football and they've got the company factor. Uh, I think we probably all expected a, a little bit more from them, albeit they've played City, Villa and Spurs so far, which is a pretty harsh start. But yeah, I was at, I was at Turf Moor, uh, it was like a long time ago now, uh, before the international break for the Spurs game and they were alarmingly naive, to be honest. It wasn't just that they were beaten by a better team. They were defending on the halfway line against Son. Uh, which is just ridiculous when you've got James Madison to pick through balls. So for someone of sort of company's experience in the game and also footballing intelligence, which we can all see, I was quite surprised at how much space they offered to their opponents. And when he was sort of asked about it afterwards, it was just it was more a case of not ripping up the rule book and trying something different. It's more, you know, we just need to get better, basically. But um, it's fine having a high line in the championship when you're dominating games week after week, but, but not in the Premier League. So... Um, yeah, Spurs are very good, but Burnley sort of handed them a lot of the initiative in that game, which was which was a concern. But yeah, they, they've had a tough start in terms of in terms of fixtures. So um, you're going to tell me who they've got this weekend um, because you, the fixture ingrained in your formation in your mind. They've got um, they're away to Nottingham Forest. Way to Nottingham Forest, of course. So uh, that's a much easier game on paper than the three they've had so far. Ah, so. there you go. Well, they they did win uh, at Forest in the the League Cup. Um, the other week much changed teams I'm sure it will be but you know obviously, yeah, this, it'll be probably the most straightforward game of the season so far it's a big Monday night football Nottingham Forest against Burnley looking forward to that one hi everyone David Ornstein here and I want to tell you about the Athletics new bite-sized podcast the Daily Football Briefing if you're one of those people who are just too busy for a regular length podcast in the morning this is right up your street in just over 10 minutes, we'll bring you bang up to date with the biggest stories in football all before you've finished your first coffee of the day. It'll be Matt Slater on a club's ongoing takeover saga, our club experts reflecting on big overnight matches, and let's be honest, me explaining those transfer stories that just won't go away. That's the Daily Football Briefing, every weekday morning, available wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, let's move on to the first game of the uh, the weekend. It is the early kickoff. It is Liverpool's trip to Wolves, and 
Jurgen Klopp, he really doesn't like 12.30 kickoffs because of Liverpool's record. Winless in all six 12.30 kickoffs last season, drawing three, losing three. And he has made his feelings pretty clear about them in the past. He feels that it's unfair on on players having to play in these early games after international fixtures and, and things like that, which is sort of fair enough, I suppose, but it's it's just a little bit weak, the argument, in my opinion. Um, but in terms of Wolves' chances up against Liverpool, who have, who have done well so far, they got their business done in the transfer window and they've been in good form and now they take on a sort of, you know, a Premier League minnow in in Wolves. You know, how, have, you, have you lot got any chance, do you feel? Yeah, I don't want to be your sidekick. <laughs> Is that what you're trying to do here? I'm pushing you away. I've only got one room for one one sidekick. And Nick, Nick I want Nick as my sidekick. <laughs> I wish people could see the look on your face when you said the word minnow right in my eyes there. That was quite something. Um, uh, what was the question? Was there a question? Sorry. I don't know if there was. I think it was something to do with whether Wolves have got any chance. Yeah, yeah. Have they got any chance? Uh, I mean, they beat Liverpool 3-0 last season when uh, Liverpool were... Uh, that was uh, last season though, wasn't it? Yeah, but they had this sort of catastrophically bad uh, defensive record around the time. And they have, they've shown hints of that as well this season. They could have conceded three against Bournemouth in the first 10 minutes. And, you know, that was with their first choice back five and it's a 12.30 kickoff so maybe this is the level yeah but also you know Newcastle away they sort of they lost the plot a little bit I know they came back to win that um, in unlikely fashion but Van Dijk and Trent Alexander-Arnold that day again didn't cover themselves in glory so um, but I'm going to counter that by saying I don't know if you've heard of this issue Wolves have got uh, it's, a, it's a new thing. They just don't score many goals. It's like it's, oh, it's just yeah. sort of crept up overnight. Yeah, um, yeah. Since uh, since November 2020, when Raúl Jiménez suffered that uh, horrific injury, uh, their top scorer was Ruben Neves with with 15. Huang has got 10 in that time. So we're talking about almost three years here. Uh, and Penence has got nine, and no one else has got above six basically. And, and Penence has gone. So. It's it's pretty pitiful, and uh, you'll hear me say this every time you ask me about Wolves. But they can they've got lots of very very pretty technical footballers, and they can play some lovely football. But they can't score any goals at the end of it. So uh, we, if people saw the Man United game on on the opening weekend of the season, that was Wolves in a nutshell. You know they can they can outplay superior opposition and and play some great football, but scoring goals is a problem. So can Gary O'Neill coach that into them? Uh, I, I, the jury's out on that one. You know, he uh, seems like a nice guy, and I think he can get them organised. But can he coach them to score goals? I'm not sure about that. It has clicked for for Liverpool. They've got the the blend right. It seems as if they have in their midfield. Um, so Bosley, uh, McAllister. They've already played more Premier League minutes this season than the supporting cast that they had before in Cater and Oxlade Chamberlain. Um, and it does appear, maybe, maybe that they have got the right signings because there was a chance that maybe the likes of Mason Mount or um, Caicedo and Romeo Lavia might have been in that midfield. They seem to have done well with their recruitment and, it, and it's it's clicked for them. So maybe we might see them, you know, break that hoodoo in, in 12.30 kickoffs this weekend. Luke? I think it's an interesting one. I really like Dominic Sobersly. I have actually watched a bit more of RB Leipzig than I have of Lille, so cool. I'm more familiar like with his that. game. That's good. Um, you are. You're in the hipster. St- you're in the hipster seat. Am so I? That's, okay. Yeah, that's Sorry. Cool. Um, yeah. No, you you suit him. Okay. <laughs> uh, I'll talk a bit more about Union Berlin then. Yeah, do that. Um, something yeah. like that. No, I like Sobersly. I think he's a really good player, and I think, as you say, Liverpool's team has a little bit more balance. I think you know you 
touched upon the agent survey there, there were a few shout outs to Wataru Endu as a player who could potentially make a bit of a difference, a bit of an underrated signing as a defensive midfielder, and he will allow McAllister and Soboslai to to play a bit better. But the other side to that is, you know, Tim's kind of already touched on it with Brighton. Liverpool are out of the Champions League this year. They're into the Europa League and those that sort of Thursday, Sunday, that can be a bit more brutal than the Champions League schedule they're used to. And I do I worry about them. We've already seen them dealing with injuries this year. They're a bit light on defenders going into the weekend. I think you, you definitely can't rule out Wolves getting a result. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX, stream on Hulu. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Okay, elsewhere this week, The Athletic surveyed 20 influential agents to get their opinions on the transfer window and also the season to come. And all the agents were speaking anonymously to allow them to provide their views candidly without damaging any relationships. Um, it is well worth having a look at the survey and the the full findings are, are rather surprising in places, but there'll be some ones that you go, well, yeah, fair enough. I, I understand that. In, in particular, the likes of James Madison being picked out as a, as a great signing. Um, Brighton being a team that a lot of uh, the agents tipped to do really, really well this season, as we've discussed before. Maybe one of the points that is less surprising is the answer that a lot of the agents gave about the worst signing of the transfer window. And I want to caveat this because it does sound a little bit harsh because this is a, you know, he's a, he's a good footballer. He's an international and he is a very, very good player. But a lot of the agents said that the transition of Kai Havertz from Chelsea to Arsenal was the worst signing. Are you on the same page as them, Nick? Um, I, I don't know. It was, it's, it, it's certainly a slightly odd one. It, it, I, I didn't quite understand it when it, um, when it was announced, but I can it's a lot of money. I think that's what they were grabbing on. A lot of money, but you, you can sort of, sort of see the logic. You can, because I mean, one of the things that uh, you know, obviously, a lot of people um, didn't rate Havertz particularly well because he was playing in a slightly unfamiliar or, or a slightly unnatural role for most of the time at Chelsea. You would think that uh, some playing slightly deeper would suit him better. It's where he played. Um, or, or a similar position to where he played before he moved to Chelsea. Um, and yeah, but it, it hasn't started very well, but I think Arsenal are clearly going to persist with it. It might sound like excuses, but he is moving 
away, moving to a manager with a very specific idea of what, how he wants to play. A lot of kind of quite detailed instructions, I think, about what where what he needs to do and very what pepish. kind of might take but, a bit of time, like like signings do at Manchester City, for example. Exactly, and he's kind of he's, it is a. While a similar role to the one he played before, still slightly different. He's got it used to, um, you know, playing with uh, new colleagues and uh, again in this kind of very um, specific role. Um, and he sort of, it just look, he just looks like a player who's playing. Uh, this is very kind of old football man thing to say, but just playing without a, an awful lot of confidence. Like that, the, the miss against United, where he 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 had a chance that was about was about seven yards out, and he just kind of air kicked. It just looked like a someone who didn't quite know what they were. Just needs there. one to go off his backside, doesn't he? There you go. Yeah. yeah. Um, of course, the, this could all be complete nonsense, and it'll turn out to be a colossal flop. And you know, Emil Smith Rowe will be playing there by the end of October. So, um, but I think you know, Arteta is clearly going to persist with this this um, idea of him playing as a number eight. So yeah, I can understand why so many of the, the agents rated it as bad slash strange signing, but. Um, I, I sort of half think he'll come good at some point. Moises Caicedo for 110 million to Chelsea was was also flagged as as one that a lot of agents thought was just just too much money. Do you, are you on are you on that one as well, Luke? Uh, I'm not quite in the uh, sort of my Jurgen Klopp moment of uh, walking out as soon as there's a hundred million signing, but it was a lot of money, and I think that the results of those uh, of that survey, I think in large part comes due to the fact that Caicedo in his first couple of Chelsea games has had a pretty tough time. You know, he came on for his debut against West Ham, struggled, gave away a penalty, was a little bit better against Luton, but with the caveat that it's Luton. Um, and it just hasn't really clicked for him. But then it's difficult at Chelsea because there's so many new players coming in. Difficult for him because he hasn't really had a proper pre-season with all the sort of transfer talk that was going around. In a similar way to Nick, you know, I think... There is clearly a good player in Moises Caicedo. We saw that for Brighton last year, saw it for Ecuador at the World Cup. And I think it will take a little bit of time. Maurizio Pochettino is a good head coach who works well with younger players, which Caicedo still is. And I think he will. it may take a bit of time, but he will come good, I think, this season. There was a couple of other interesting um, things in that survey. Uh, one on the, the player who's most likely to leave their team in uh, January who's going to be that biggest signing a lot of people are saying when Ivan Tony returns from his ban due to those uh, betting breaches uh, he'll be heading away from from Brentford to a to a top six side Tim was there anything that, that stuck out for for you in particular uh, so, uh, the, the the Madison thing was pretty obvious I think pound for pound it's hard to look beyond you know 40 million for a, for a 26 year old as the best um, signing as the best signing pound for pound yeah in terms of the players that move it's, you've got to say Bellingham who's just about to become one of the best players in the world if he's not already to be honest I had the, the pleasure of watching him in the flesh for the first time over the international break it was just honestly at Hampden Park is one of the best individual performances I've ever seen I think it's like he's, it's like he's playing against uh, underage an underage team basically he was, was that good um uh, the, I mean, the, yeah, the Cole Palmer thing was quite interesting. How that was such a surprising one, given he was sort of on the verge of a breakthrough at Man City. Uh, and yeah, the Brighton thing was funny because I think even if you don't think Brighton have had the best window, you know, you have to say it now. It's just just what you have to say. Just Brighton. Uh, you, no one's ever heard of the, no one's heard of the players involved, like both were saying earlier. But you just have to say they're great signings, right? You have to say they're well run. You know, you might as well just call them Brighton and have Albion 
well-run football club <laughs> yeah. instead of just football club because that's what you have to say now. Are you a little bit jealous of Brighton as, as, a, as a Wolves supporter? Are they doing things that you would like to, you would like to see at, at Molyneux? Raining down punches on punches. <laughs> because Wolves used to be like that. Oh, you are? They? Do you be serious? No, I am being serious. Yeah. They used to be that, that side. Where are they getting all these fantastic Portuguese players? They play such good Where were football. they getting them from? No one knew. No, knew. Nobody knew that one. <laughs> they were just deals that conjured from, from the ether, weren't they? Yeah, no, Wolves is scouting network of uh, this guy called Mendes, like a really yeah. good scout. Uh, found all these players Amazing. in Portugal worked really well yeah. yeah he was great okay let's move on let's go from Portugal um, to Germany and Harry Kane's Bayern Munich host Bayer Leverkusen in a battle of the top two in the Bundesliga Xavi Alonso transformed Leverkusen since taking over midway through last season and the Liverpool fans a lot of them are saying that they would like him not Steven Gerrard anymore uh, to be the man who uh, succeeds Jurgen Klopp whenever that time will come and for the lowdown on that game let's hear from our German football writer Seb Stafford Bloor. Hi Adam, exciting times in the Bundesliga. Obviously Friday night is going to be first against second, but it's also it will also see the last two remaining 100% records in the league face off against each other. It comes at a good time too, because I'm not sure Bayern are that convincing. They've won their games, they've got the job done, but there are some big question marks against their different departments. Midfield, everybody knows about because of the, uh, the botched transfer activity on deadline day. The attack isn't functioning quite as it might do either. Harry Kane has played well, so too has Leroy Sané, but there's a little bit of a lack of cohesiveness and Bayern don't look quite as dangerous as they normally do. And also at the other end of the pitch, they're still missing Manuel Neuer and that's a, that's a big problem. Conversely, Leverkusen have been excellent. 11 goals from their first three games and all sorts of positives across the pitch. I think one of the keys for Jabby Alonso has been to keep his three most important defenders from last season. So that's Jonathan Tarr, uh, Piero Hankapi and Edmund Tapsova. But they've also made some really good additions. Granit Jacker from Arsenal has been terrific, both in a leadership and a, and a technical sense. Jonas Hoffmann, equally so, came from Gladbach. He's a German international. Florian Wirtz has found his form again. Obviously, he suffered a terrible injury a few years ago. Now very much looks back on track to be a world-class number 10. He's been absolutely excellent. And probably the most intriguing player in the division, at the top of the pitch, they have Victor Boniface, who joined from Union Saint-Gilois in the summer for around 20 million euros. He was the top scorer in last season's Europa League. And he's been absolutely excellent. He's a very complete sort of centre-forward, scores goals, creates them, knits the play. And he's really suited what Leverkusen have tried to do under Alonso. In particular, his relationship with players like Wurtz and Hoffman, but also Jeremy Fringpong, the, the right-sided wing-back, former Celtic player, who under Alonso, and this is true of quite a few players, um, has really grown individually and now looks absolutely like one of the, the very, very best wing-backs in world football. So this is going to be a great game. Uh, Leverkusen away from home. This is in Munich, so it's a, a bit of a test, but uh, an absolute must-watch. Thanks very much to Seb. There will, of course, be continued coverage of the Bundesliga, also Spanish football on The Athletic, in addition uh, to the Premier League. Uh, just a final word from, from all three of you, um, and you can go in whatever direction you wish. Any fixtures this weekend in the Premier League or, or beyond, Nick, for you that, that really stick out? Uh, a couple in the Championship. Um, Middlesbrough uh, are playing Blackburn. Borough really, really good last season. Um, almost lost in the semi-finals of the playoffs to Coventry, didn't they? Um, and they've been absolutely awful so mm. far this season. One point from six games. 
Um, people were talking about Michael Carrick as a kind of great managerial talent, but you know, if this continues, then he might get binned off by Middlesbrough, which is um, a surprising one. Also, uh, on Sunday, the uh, traditional uh, tasty game, oh. 12 o'clock slot, is the 50-year-old blokes who used to be tasty and still just about fit into their Burberry shirts. Derby, Millwall against Leeds. Good luck with that one. Um, Luke, where are you going? I mean, from hipster corner, I feel obliged to go outside of the UK. Yeah. Uh, I'm looking at Freiburg Dortmund in the Bundesliga. Oh, are you? Uh, it's a bit of an interesting one. Freiburg, another well-run club. Lots of good sales, but they still keep uh, performing well. Dortmund this year, been in real trouble. They have not coped well with the uh, the loss of Jude Bellingham. Their head coach, I think, Edin Terzic, is already under pressure. Uh, it should be an exciting game. Tim? Uh, I'm, I'm physically going to Spurs Sheffield United so oh, yeah. I, it's a home, home banker and potentially very boring on the face of it but there's the, this Richarlison narrative which has come up uh, during the international break people might have seen he was in tears on the bench for Brazil and came out and said I need some psychological help which is extremely unusual and you know I applaud him for doing so yeah. so um, yeah we'll see if he, he seems like he's, he's fit and available so we'll see we'll see if he plays and hopefully he scores couldn't agree more that's it from us this week. Tim, thank you very much. Uh, I'm not going to say thank you on this occasion. <laughs> You're not? <laughs> no, no, I'm not, no. Okay. I'm, no, I'm going to stick with that. Do you, you don't, I, I, you've not enjoyed it? Uh, it's, I, it's great to see Luke and Nick. Yeah, yeah. okay, good. good. <laughs> Luke, you've had a great debut. You can come and sit where Tim sat uh, next week if you wish. I feel like I'm kind of sucking up to the teacher now saying thank you, but yeah. thank you, Adam. I appreciate yeah. that. You're very welcome, Luke. Well done. And Nick, oh, Nick, it's great to have had you on the show once again. Thank you. In solidarity with my colleague, Tim, I'm not going to say thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Jolly good. Thank you to you all. Uh, Ayak and Willary is going to be back next week. I will be here next Friday. Your producer today was John Rogers. Executive producer was Adam Jones. Thank you to both of them. If you like what you heard, make sure you subscribe to The Athletic and you can sign up right now for our best ever price of £1 or $1 a month for an entire year at theathletic.com forward slash football pod. Enjoy whichever match you are heading to this weekend and thanks very much for listening. Take care. The Athletic.